0: Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. Well, so glad that you're with us today. If you're new, my name is Trent, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I just want to welcome you to EPIC as we celebrate Easter 2017. And as Evan already said, today's going to be a little bit different. So a little bit different than our normal services. We're actually going to have some dramatic elements that happen on stage here behind me and beside me. And then we just might have some dramatic elements that happen around you during the service. So just be a little bit prepared for that. And our desire in doing this is we hope to help all of us experience what's called the Holy Week in a different way. So the Holy Week starts on Palm Sunday. That's last Sunday, what we celebrated here. And it leads right up till Easter today, what we're celebrating and there were some amazing things that happened in the Holy Week. And we're gonna look at some of those things. But what we're gonna to try to do is put you right into, in the middle of the Holy Week, right in the middle of that experience. And I want you to imagine, if you can, that you are maybe one of Jesus' disciples or one of the, the folks that was kind of following that crowd. And you were watching what was happening around Jesus. And what I hope happens for us is that we're able to see how the holy week the easter story can have an impact on our lives today just like it had on an impact on so many lives when it first happened so we're going to start with palm sunday so like Evan said, Palm Sunday was the day that the Jews were so excited. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they were praising him. They were waving palm branches in front of him, they were hailing him as their king. And they thought that he was literally going to be their king. They were uh, living under oppression to the Romans for a long time. They had lived under oppression of other governments for a very long time in their existence. So they were sick and tired of that. They could not wait to have their own king and their own kingdom to rule them again. So as Jesus was coming in that Sunday, they were super excited. There was a buzz in the air. There was an excitement going on. And that led into the week. So the excitement of Palm Sunday led into Monday, led into Tuesday, led into Wednesday. And then the next day that we're gonna stop at is Thursday. So on Thursday, all of the Jews would have celebrated the Passover. So this is a big celebration that God had asked the Jews to celebrate every year. And at the center of that celebration was a meal, a Passover meal, that reminded the Jews of what God had done for them about 1,400 years prior when he freed them from years of slavery to the Egyptians. And so God said, listen, here's what I want you to do. Every year, I want you to celebrate the Passover meal to remember what I did for you and what I can do for you. So when the Jews gathered for the Passover celebration, the Passover meal. It was something they had done all their lives. Even Jesus and his disciples, as they gathered to celebrate the Passover, they'd done it all their lives. This really wasn't a new thing for them, except this would be a new experience, especially for Jesus. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew this was the last time that he would celebrate the Passover meal before his death. And even though he'd been talking to his disciples about that. They didn't quite understand what was going on. Now, what was customary at any meal like that was to have someone there to wash the feet of your guests. So if you could imagine uh, for you today, many of us are going to go home. We're going to have an an Easter dinner, family, maybe friends are invited over. And I want you to imagine when your guests walk in, you are going to be there to wash their feet, A little bit awkward experience, maybe? Yeah, so for us, that's kind of a weird deal. But for Jesus and the Jews in that time frame, that was not a strange thing. That was a regular custom. See, they lived in a very dry, dusty environment. And so for people to walk those dusty roads and then to come into your house, they'd have just dirt caked all over their feet. And they would often eat reclining around a low table. And so there's a chance that someone's feet might be in your face. And so you'd probably be pretty excited about their feet being washed. So it's a real polite custom to wash people's feet. Now at this Passover meal, there was not a foot washing servant there. We're not exactly sure why. We're not sure if someone forgot to arrange that. That usually fell to the lowest servant in the group. And maybe Jesus' disciples had this kind of a conversation with each other. I'm certainly not the lowest servant. You are. And maybe the other person said, well, I'm not the lowest servant. You are. And so maybe they went around in a conversation like that until Jesus leveraged this as a teachable moment. So in John chapter 13, verse four, it says, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured some water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Verse 12 says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I find it very fascinating that one of the last lessons that Jesus is going to teach his disciples before his death involves serving. So think about the almost absurdity of what's going on. We've got God in the flesh washing his disciples' feet. Okay, like I don't know if that's absurd to you, but a little absurd to me. I'm thinking they should be washing his feet. And yet Jesus says, I'm gonna model something for you. I want you to remember this. I'm gonna do something that I hope you will never forget. I'm gonna wash your feet. That's something that the lowest servant would do. I'm gonna become that servant for you. So if you're a Christ follower... Here's a humbling question. Are you serving the way Jesus served? Are you willing to do what no one else wants to do? Because Jesus modeled that for us. Or are you like Jesus' disciples saying, you know, washing feet is just a little bit beneath me. If you're a follower of Jesus... You've been called by God to serve others the way that Jesus has served us. After washing his disciples' feet, they celebrated the Passover meal and something that we call the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, or Eucharist, depending on your religious background. And typically we celebrate communion at the end of our Easter services, but today we're going to celebrate it as it fell in the course of events of that week. So we're talking about Thursday and what happened on Thursday. Well, communion was celebrated on Thursday. So we're about to celebrate communion together. Before we do that, let me explain how we do that at Epic. So at Epic, We believe that communion should be open to anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So if you have done that, whether this is your church home or not, we encourage you, we invite you, we hope that you'll celebrate communion with us. So we have six different stations here. We have two up front and then we have four at the back. So there's one at the back of each seating section. And in just a moment, our Jesus is gonna bless communion and then you are gonna be free to get up from your seat, if you so choose, and move to one of these stations to take communion. And as you come up, there's gonna be several elements there. So we've got two communion elements. We've got um, the juice, little cups of juice, and we have pieces of bread or pieces of cracker. The bread and the cracker represent Jesus' body, which was broken for us. The juice represents uh, Jesus' blood, which was poured out for us. So as you're standing in line or or walking up to get the communion elements, here's what I encourage you to think about. Think about what was it like for Jesus' disciples that first night When, when Jesus had this communion conversation and walked through this communion meal? What were they thinking? They didn't really know what was about to happen. And then I want you to think, what did they think about communion after Jesus' resurrection? What meaning did it have for them then when they looked back to this night, this meal? I think it had a different experience for them. So as you come up, pick up the elements and you can uh, pause for a quick prayer. You can sit back down while we have a a song uh, being played. But at some point during this song, I encourage you to pause for a a moment of prayer and thank God for the sacrifice that, that Jesus paid for you. And then... Go ahead and take communion on your own when you're ready during this song. So with the excitement of Palm Sunday and the Passover celebration in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread.
1: Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Take it, eat, for this is my body which has been given for you. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who's created fruit from the vine. Drink from this cup, all of you, for this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it.
0: You are now free to get up and take communion.
1: Abba, Father, I cry out to you, please hear me. I don't think I could do this task, I'm so tired. I need strength from you to do what you have sent me to do. I know I must die. It's the reason I'm here. I know that through my scars, they will be healed by my blood. They will be reconciled to you. But Abba, please take this cup from me. Let there be another way. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. I'm prepared to be the final sacrifice for the sin of this world, but, but I'm not ready to be forsaken by you. That's what I'm afraid of the most. You can't be in the presence of sin, so you'll have to forsake me. And that's more than I think I can handle. Father, 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 I don't want to be forsaken by you. Let there be another way.
0: So after celebrating the Passover meal, it was late Thursday night, early Friday morning. Jesus and his disciples went to a garden. That garden was called Gethsemane. I've had the privilege of being in that environment. It's an amazing experience. That was a place that that Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own. That's a place that he would be arrested. And I don't know that we can fully grasp what was going on that night for Jesus. I don't know that we can understand the anguish that he was feeling. Luke chapter 22 says that Jesus was in such agony, he sweat great drops of blood. And I don't know if you've ever processed, like what kind of agony was Jesus in to to pray three different times, Father, if there's any other way, there's any other way. So I wanna take a moment and just think about what was Jesus agonizing over? Some suggest that he was agonizing over a Roman crucifixion. And if you know anything about a Roman crucifixion, it was horrible. A horrible way to die. My family and I watched uh, the movie The Passion of the Christ last night. And uh, again, we were reminded of what Jesus did when he, he suffered through that experience. And as, as great of a job as that movie did at showing what a crucifixion would have been like, it fell short. Because scripture says that Jesus was unrecognizable as a human being after that experience and as he hung on the cross. So that would be a horrible way to die. But I'm not fully convinced that's what Jesus was agonizing over completely because in three days he would rise from the grave and he knew that. So I'm not sure that was all of it. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. First part of that verse says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. The New International Version of that same verse says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin. So Jesus knew as he was coming to the cross, He would become sin. He would become every sin that had ever been committed or would ever be committed. He would become rape and murder and jealousy and pride, anything and everything, stuff that he had never done in his life. He had never sinned, but he would become sin. Now imagine becoming someone else's sin. Imagine like the worst sin that you can think of and you becoming that sin as if you had committed that sin. And then imagine paying the full penalty for that thing you didn't do. We couldn't imagine that. But Jesus did that. He did that for us. And as he was coming to the cross, he understood he would also take the full weight of God's wrath towards sin for all of humanity. He would suffer And he would die, he would die our penalty. Romans 6.23 says the wages or the penalty of sin is death. So Jesus knew that he was dying for us. He was taking our place. He knew that he would become our sin. Let's personalize this for a minute. He'd become my sin. He would become your sin. Anything you've ever done wrong, anything you ever will do wrong, On that night, Jesus became that. And Jesus knew he would take the full weight of God's wrath towards sin, and he would experience something he had never experienced before, a separation from his heavenly Father. And so Jesus prayed, is there any other way? 2 Corinthians 5.21 again says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we, so that we can be made right with God through Christ. So Jesus knew there was no other way. There was no other way for us to be made right with God. And so Jesus willingly went through all of that for us. And he prayed, Father, I don't wanna experience this. If there's any other way, let's do that. But if there's no other way, then let your will be done. So here's a real fun question for us Do you have that perspective? Do you have Jesus' perspective when something goes on in your life that's outside of your control, something that is not fun, something that's painful, maybe a relational issue, maybe a a financial issue, maybe a health issue? When you're going through something that's difficult, do you have Jesus' perspective? Do you say, Heavenly Father, if this thing, this event, will bring about your purpose in my life or somebody else's life, your will be done. Let it be so. Let it happen. Do you have that perspective? Many times I don't. Many times I wake up, I think every day, I wake up and I want my will to be done. And I certainly want my will to be done if God's will is gonna lead me through some sort of pain and suffering, as it sometimes does. But here's the thing about God's will for us. Sometimes God's will runs straight through difficulty. Sometimes God's will for us leads us right to where Jesus was, at the crossroads between his will and God the Father's will. And Jesus said, your will is always better than my will, always. So if you're a Christ follower, is there anything in your life right now, anything going on where you need to say, Your will be done, Heavenly Father. Your will be done. If your will will bring about your purposes in my life or somebody else's life, let it happen. I will go through this because it's your will. If you aren't a Christ follower, are you willing to see how maybe God's will can bring real meaning and and real purpose to your life, even if it brings you through a difficult thing? Because here's the reality. God's will is always better than our will. God's will is always perfect, even when it brings us through some sort of pain and suffering. Hear my cry,
1: oh God. Please answer me. I'm so tired. I'm, I'm terrified of this task. Please Take this cup for me. Is there another way to save your people? There could be another way. Please, let there be another way. Father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it,
0: your will be done. Your will be done. Between 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. Friday morning, Jesus was arrested and he was put through six different trials. Three were Jewish trials and they were illegal by their own laws. Three were Roman trials and you see the Jews didn't have permission from the Romans to have anyone crucified. So what they had to do was they had to go to the Romans and get that permission and the, the Jewish leaders were jealous of Jesus. They hated that people were following him instead of following them and so they, they came up with this plan that we'll blame Jesus for some things that he didn't do and we're, we'll go and, and we'll try to get him crucified. And so I want you to notice something. There's this huge difference between Palm Sunday and what we call Good Friday. Again, on Palm Sunday, everyone was so excited. They were so excited about Jesus and what he was gonna do for them. And then when he didn't do what they wanted him to do, when he didn't live up to their expectations, they had him arrested and put on trial. So here's a humbling question for us. Is Jesus on trial in your life? Have you put God on trial because maybe he hasn't done something that you expected him to do? Like maybe you thought that by following Jesus, everything would be great in your life. And maybe everything's not great in your life. Like this little one, like everything's not great right now for this poor little one. (laughs) Like maybe you thought, you know, everything should be great. Now it's not so great. So now, God, I'm demanding answers. Maybe you thought that by following Jesus, he would fix all your problems. And maybe because you still have some of those problems, maybe you are very angry with Jesus for not living up to your expectations. So whatever... Might have gone on in your life or might be going on in your life. Have you put Jesus, have you put God on trial? That's what the Jews were doing. He didn't live up to their expectations, he wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. He wasn't the the guy, he wasn't the God they expected him to be. So they arrested him, they found him guilty of not living up to their expectations. And they delivered him to the Roman governor Pilate in hopes that he would give them permission to crucify him. I find no guilt in
1: him, but you have a custom that I release to you someone at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release to you the king of the Jews? No, Well, what shall I do with this man? I find no guilt in him. You wish for me to crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. I find no guilt in this man. Let this be known as I wash my hands of his blood. But as
0: you wish, he shall be crucified. So here's the interesting thing about Pilate he couldn't find any justifiable reason. To sentence Jesus to death, and yet he caved into the demands of the Jewish religious leaders, and he gave permission for Jesus to be crucified. And I find it interesting with Pilate that he, he says, Listen, I don't find any fault with him, and then he tries to remain neutral about Jesus, and he washes his hands, thinking that he won't have any guilt. In this, he won't have any part of it. He was just an innocent bystander, really, in, in the course of events of how this un, unfolded. The sad thing is, many people are still behaving like Pilate today. There are many people who don't have a problem with Jesus. Pilate didn't have a problem with Jesus. There are many people who think, you know, Jesus, he was a, a good teacher, he was a good guy. I don't know about the whole God thing they try to wash their hands of Jesus and try to remain neutral about him. But get this, Jesus did not remain neutral about us. He did not remain neutral about our sin. He didn't say, and he could have, he could have said their sin, their problem, they messed it up, let them clean it up. I'm gonna wash my hands of this and remain neutral. Jesus didn't do that. He said, their sin, their problem, they made the mess. I'll make it my problem. I will clean up their mess. I will die so they can live. I will be despised. I will be whipped. I will be tortured. I will be murdered for them. I'll take the full weight of God's wrath towards sin for them. Jesus didn't remain neutral about us. And that decision cost him everything. Everything. between Friday morning and Friday afternoon a day that we call Good Friday Jesus was was whipped he was beaten he was nailed to a cross for sins he didn't commit and then he died a slow painful death taking the full weight of God's wrath towards sin he did that while the Romans and Many of the Jews made fun of him, and then he was abandoned by his own disciples. I don't think there was any bleaker moment in human, human history than the moment that we killed our Creator. I want you to, to think what that moment must have been like for Jesus' disciples, So the guy they had left everything for, the guy they had left their families, their career, they left everything to follow Jesus. And he's hanging on a cross. He didn't put them in positions of power. He didn't free them from the Romans. He didn't even put up a fight when he was arrested. Can you imagine how hopeless that would feel? Imagine how depressed you would be. I don't know that we can fully grasp that, but, you know, I do think some of us have, have glimpses of it. I do think some of us understand just a little bit of, of what it's like to put our hope in something or someone. Maybe you've put your hope in a person and that person has let you down. Maybe you put your hope in a medical treatment thinking this medical treatment's gonna be the answer and and maybe it's not the answer. Maybe you put your hope in a new career thinking this new career's gonna be it. And maybe it hasn't been it. Maybe you thought a new move to a new place would help you start fresh and and get away from old patterns and maybe that hasn't happened. Maybe you put your hope in something and, and you realize... It's now hopeless. In those moments, the joy of Palm Sunday becomes the despair of Good Friday. Isn't that an amazing song, amazing truth, an amazing reality? A cross that was meant to kill is our victory. A cross that we should have died on, that Jesus took, that Jesus stepped into for us. In a moment when all of the disciples thought all is lost, God turned their sorrow back into joy. And that's the amazing thing about our God. He can take any painful experience and turn it into a good thing. Why do you think Good Friday is called Good Friday? It's not called Good Friday because Jesus dying on a cross was a good thing. It's called Good Friday because God took a horrible thing for Jesus and turned it into a great thing for us. And that's what God can do for any one of us. That's what God did for all of us. Now, I want you to think for just a moment. What do we have without Christ's resurrection? That Easter Sunday, the day he rose from the grave, what do we have without Christ's resurrection? We have nothing. We have nothing. We have no faith to hold on to, no hope for today, no hope for tomorrow, no forgiveness. We have nothing. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. So Christ had to rise from the dead for us, and he did that. So without Christ's resurrection, we have nothing. But with Christ's resurrection, we have everything. We have hope for today. We have hope for tomorrow. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can live forever with God because of that resurrection. That's what Easter is all about. Easter is about Jesus stepping in for us. Easter is about Jesus saying, I'm not gonna remain neutral about them, about their sin. I'm gonna step in for them. I'm gonna step in and do something that can't be done unless I do it. It's what Easter's about, it's about forgiveness, it's about Jesus, it's about an empty tomb that reminds us that our sins have been paid in full because we serve a risen savior. Now, we have to answer this question before we leave. And the question is, now what? Now what do we do? What do we do with this Easter story? What do we do with this information? Is this something that uh, we come on Easter service and hear once a year and reminded of and like, wow, that's, that's great, that's it's, it's interesting, that's nice? Are we actually supposed to do something with this? As you can imagine, I think God wants us to do something, actually several things with this story. The first thing I think God wants us to do is he wants us to make a decision about who he is and what he did on the cross for us. God wants us to decide. Again, be reminded that Jesus didn't remain neutral about us. He didn't remain neutral about our sin. He wants us to make a decision about him. Here's some decisions that we can make. First decision we can make is we can choose to reject Jesus. We can say, you know, I I don't believe all that. Like I'm here because, you know, I'm visiting family and kind of have to be. I don't believe that. We can choose to remain neutral about Jesus and wash our hands. Say, you know, I think Jesus was a good guy, but I just don't believe the whole God thing, so I'm just going to remain neutral. Here's the reality about those two decisions. They both lead to the, the same eternal consequences. A decision to remain neutral about Jesus is a decision to reject Jesus or we can decide to make Jesus our personal Lord and Savior. We can say, you know what? I believe that what Jesus did for me. I believe Jesus died so I can live. I believe Jesus didn't remain neutral about my sin. And I wanna make a decision to put my faith and trust in him as my personal Lord and Savior. And here's what might be true today. Maybe, just maybe, a few of you are at that spot. You're at that point that you know that's the decision that you need to make. Maybe you've heard this story before and today's the day, you just know it. Maybe you've rejected Jesus before. Maybe you tried to remain neutral about him and maybe today you you knows the day that you need to put your faith and trust in him. Or maybe this is the very first time you've heard this and you realize it's true and you need to receive it. So if you're in that spot, I want to walk you through that, how you do that. And um, there's no magic words. There's no pixie dust. There's no like, wow, well, if I don't feel this certain thing, then it must not have happened. It's a decision that we make. And that decision is based on three things. So the first thing is admitting. It's where we admit that we are sinners in need of a savior. It's where we admit to God, God, I need what you sent Jesus to earth for. You sent Jesus to earth to save us. I need that. Because whether I've sinned in small ways or big ways, I need a savior. We all do. So we have to start by admitting. The second thing is we believe. We believe that Jesus was God in the flesh and he died so we can live. We have to believe that he came and took our sin and paid for that on the cross. Then the third part is committing. We have to commit to follow him. We have to make a decision. I'm in. I'm in, I receive this gift. I'm I walking into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that'll last forever. And I am now going to walk out the rest of my days on this earth, following him and becoming the person he wants me to be. So again, it's based on admitting, believing and committing. Now I'm gonna ask something that's gonna feel real weird, uh, especially if it applies to you. Well, I'm going to ask in just a minute, if you're at that spot where you know you need to make that decision for you today, and it's the first time you've made it, and I'm talking if you've made this decision before, great, hold on to the confidence that you have in that decision, that relationship that you have with God, but if you're making it for the first time today, I'm going to ask you in just a minute, don't do it right now, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Now, let me clarify something. Raising your hand doesn't get you into heaven, okay, just so we're clear. All right? You don't have to raise your hand. But there are moments where we need to make our faith public. Like there are many moments of that. Our faith should be personal, but our faith should never be private. Our faith should be public. And in this moment, this could be an opportunity where we say, "You know what? I'm in." I don't care who's around, I don't care who's looking. Like I'm in. Like I'm raising my hand. If no one raises their hand, great. If one person raises their hand, great. If 10, it doesn't matter. This is a moment for you. If you're at that spot and you know you need to make that decision, I'm going to ask you would you raise your hand and hold it confidently high so I can see it? It'll take me a second to scan. I see two. I see three. Can we just give these folks a round of applause? So let me talk to to those three, and I'm not really sure where those three are again, but um, here's the reality, and here's here's what has just happened. You have just become a part of God's family. You've just been adopted. You've just been adopted into a family that will last for all of eternity. You've become a disciple. You've become a disciple of the king. And when you pass from this life into the next, guess what? God the Father says, welcome home. Well done. So here's what I encourage you to do. The next thing that God wants us to do after putting our faith and trust in Jesus is to get baptized. And we've got a baptism this afternoon at five o'clock, 16th Street North at Flagler Beach. We'll be in the ocean. Great place to, to be baptized on an Easter Sunday. So if you've just put your faith in Jesus, I encourage you to go to our Connection Center, talk to somebody there, get signed up for baptism. If you have already put your faith in Jesus, but you have not been baptized, I encourage you, sign up for our baptism. I think we have 10 people being baptized today, and I invite everybody to come out and celebrate with us those who are being baptized. And it's just a one-time public declaration of the decision that we've made to follow Jesus. Very symbolic. So when we go underwater, it's symbolic of us dying to our old lives. And when we come out of the water, it's symbolic of, of us being raised to new life in Christ. So Here's a a few other encouragements for the rest of us. God wants us to also share the story and live the story of Easter. So as you leave today, someone's gonna give you a little bookmark. And on that bookmark, we've got the stamps of the the symbols for the Easter story. So we've got the palm branch and uh, and the palm, palm branch reminds us of Palm Sunday when we were so excited about Jesus and what he was gonna do. And then that leads us to the crown of thorns where Jesus didn't live up to our expectations. We put him on trial. That leads us to the cross. And the cross reminds us that's the day that Jesus said, I will willingly take the full weight of their sin. I will become their sin so they can have eternal life. And then it leads us to my favorite symbol on that little bookmark that you'll have uh, is the empty tomb. Again, Without the empty tomb, we have nothing. But because of the empty tomb, we have everything. And so I hope this little bookmark will help you do several things. Number one, share the story with other people. Maybe you put that bookmark someplace where it reminds you on a regular basis to do that. Maybe you, you take it at work and you pin it up at work and somebody says, what's that about? And you go, what would that bald guy say on Sunday? Like, I'm not sure. Then walk your way back through that. Oh yeah, palm, like this is what the palm branch means. This is what, and, and get to the, to the empty tomb and tell them how that story can change their lives. And then we've got to live the story. But here's where we struggle with this, and myself as well. Many times we wonder, how do I live the Easter story? How do I live that at home, at work, at school? How do I do that on a regular basis, kind of outside of the the Easter season? Well, we're going to start a new series next week. And that series is going to help us learn how to live the story in our current world. And I think this is probably one of the biggest series we've done in the life of our church. So we are going to try to tackle some of the big issues facing our world today. We're gonna talk about how can we live the Easter story in an unjust world? How can we live the Easter story in a racially tense world? How can we live that story in a politically divided world? And how can we live that story in a sexually diverse world? So there's some big issues, and I've just mentioned, facing our world. And many times Christians say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live in our current culture. So we're going to talk about how to live out that story in our current culture with those specific things. Now, every one of those messages I think are worth coming for and, in, and worth inviting people to. Let me tell you just about one of them. In two weeks, we're going to talk about the injustice of human slavery and human trafficking, the reality that that is still happening today. And sometimes we think, you know what, that, that's something that just happens in some dark corner of the world. The reality is it happens in every corner of the world. It happens in the United States. It happens in Florida. It happens in our own town. And I'm gonna have the privilege of interviewing a human trafficking survivor. God's uh, allowed my path, my wife's path, to cross with, with this woman. And she's from Jacksonville. She was trafficked in Jacksonville. She has this amazing story of God rescuing her out of human slavery and human trafficking. And so I hope you'll come back to hear that incredible message of how the Easter story can transform any life anywhere. So if you would do me a favor, would you stand with me? And we're going to pray, and then we're going to go out and live the story. So let's pray together. So God, I am so incredibly grateful for the opportunity that we've had to be here today and to hear again this amazing story Lord, it's a true story. It's not just some made-up thing. Our faith is built on these real events that happened. Our faith is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, we are so grateful for the sacrifice that you paid for us, that all that you were willing to go through for us, that you were willing to become our sin, you were willing to take the full weight of God's wrath, something that we should have done, but you did that for us because you loved us. And you knew that was the only way for us to be back in a right relationship with God. So Jesus, we are so incredibly grateful. And God, I pray your blessings on our three folks today who put their faith and trust in you. I pray that they would grow that faith. I I pray that that they would get, get serious about getting to know you deeply. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would learn how to live and share the Easter story with everyone, everywhere. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen. Thanks for being here today, everyone. Have a fantastic rest of your day.